Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of James Talks. Really great to be with you again today. And today we've got not just one, but two guests. Um, two of uh, those of you who are regular listeners will know um, Dr. Kate Hendricks-Thomas and Dr. Teresa Larson, um, who've been with me before. And we've got them both here today and we're going to talk about some really interesting stuff. So welcome back, both of you. Thank you. Thanks, James. Um, fantastic. So uh, what we're going to talk about today is we're going to, last time when I was with, um, with Kate, we talked about her book and we talked about these, in very briefly, we talked about these three constructs of um, resilience training, um, living, living resiliently. Um, and I thought it would be a good idea to talk about these in more depth, spend a whole episode talking about these in more depth. And also to get Teresa's input as well, because um, Kate and and Teresa's work kind of aligns alongside each other kind of really well, So and and their friends as well. Um, So, um, yeah, we just thought it might be a good idea to do this. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend the next, um, however long it is, um, hopefully about an hour or so, talking about these three different uh, constructs, and we'll just see where that goes. Um, So, okay, so... Uh, so, Kate, just um, unpack for us the, the first of these three different constructs and explain what, what you know what they are. Um, Absolutely. Well, one, thanks again for the chance to get together and to um, you know speak about this with a colleague whose whose work in the field is incredible and admirable, and I'm so glad we're going to hear from Dr. Larson today. Um, but specifically, resilience is not this trait that other people have. It's comprised of three umbrella concepts under which are very specific techniques Mm -hmm. um, cultivate resilient traits in any of us. And um, I broke those down in my book, Brave, Strong, True, as under the categories of social support, you know, finding that healthy tribe, surrounding yourself with uplifting people, Mm -hmm. self-care, how you treat your physical body, and then spirituality, spiritual fitness. Um, I often talk about it as. And so the first of these is really the most important because behavioral change does not happen in a vacuum. Uh, You will never be able to make healthy behavior change with toxic relationships without affirming relationships. So cultivating the right social support um, is really our first step. Uh, And something to look at critically, carefully, and, and take action on. Right, so this is so the first one of these is social support. Um, so what, so what, what's the science behind this? What, what kind of can you can, can you unpack that for us? Well, we are neurologically uh, and physiologically wired to connect with each other. Um, you know, we, I joke about that middle school lunchroom, uh, you know, when you didn't know if you had somebody to sit beside, creating angst and anxiety. Well, really at an endocrine system level, what you were experiencing when you weren't sure you'd have somebody to sit next to at lunch was a threat to survival as your brain reads it because Mm. we developed, you know, we developed social networks for that survival. So having affirming, positive, welcoming, warm people in your life tells your body that you're safe, secure, and you're going to live to, you know, you're going to live to hunt and gather another day. So it's, 
really interesting that uh, high levels of social support yield more protective effect and physiological benefit than even doing something like, um, you know, dropping a binge drinking or a smoking habit. You live on average 7.5 years longer if you have healthy, positive people in your life. Well, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there, there is science. I think atomic science, um, when they broke down, like, it right to the smallest thing, um, it's all in relationship. Everything's in relationship. Even at the very, very micro level, everything is in relationship. Absolutely. Um, and it's, you know, it's not a coincidence, is it, that, um, you know, that human beings thrive better in community. And we, we all see it, you know. Um, so, Teresa, um, how does this kind of work itself out in your work, and what's your kind of perspective on this? Um, well, I find it, you know, on a personal level, um, very interesting, and having gotten the chance to listen and learn from Kate, um, Dr. Thomas, myself, um, it's it's true. I and I and I say that in a sense of like I'm a case study of one, you know. Mm. Essentially, like it's, <laughs> I I was that person in the lunchroom, you know, post um, loss of my mother who didn't have people to sit with and was scared and didn't feel like I had a good support network, and that sucks as a young kid. Um, but then growing up, always seeking approval from others and not necessarily surrounding myself by people that just loved me for me, but feeling like. You know, I'm surrounding myself by, you know, maybe teammates or people that I was kind of, you know, I was in organizations, I was in school, I was in sports. So kind of that forced, you know, I'm around people, but they weren't necessarily friends that lifted me up. Mm. And so those institution kind of structured communities um, weren't, they didn't, they they weren't the best for me growing up. Sports were awesome. I mean, I liked playing sports, don't get me wrong, but I didn't find that I made good friends through sports when I, in my youth. Um, I really struggled with trying to fit in. Um, and, and like, I only received approval when I won, you know, and when I mm. um, reached some level of like mm. doing well in the sport. And if I didn't, it was like mm. both from my home environment and my team, it was like, you, you feel like a nobody. Yeah. Right. So, but yeah. you know, but the thing is, is through and on the podcast, we talked about James, I shared with my, about my eating disorder, Yeah. like post that and just rehabbing and realizing what is going to help me live a fulfilled and happy life. And that to make that choice to is making the choice to making the choice of what kind of communities do I want to be a part of? What kind of, who do I want to be around and, and saying no to the people and the communities I don't need to be around that don't fill me up. And like, that took me time to like sit down and think about what, what kind of person, what kind of community is going to be good for me. Um, Mm. and that's where I found, you know, the fitness community CrossFit, you know, it's not just about the fitness for me. I meet veterans, I meet women, I meet moms, I meet dads, I meet, Mm. older folks, younger folks. And then, you know, um, and that's been really, really awesome. Um, and so, but, but just in the last few years, have I actually saw the benefit of making a choice of who I be, who I surround myself by yeah. and how much happier 
all around, I feel. Um, that's, that's amazing. So I think she yeah. just makes an incredibly that I just want to highlight that point you made, Dr. Larson. The concept we talk about all of these resilient trait cultivating practices as practices, and I don't think a lot of us look at social support as a choice, as a practice. Mm. But what she just said is is pretty much the most important thing anybody can say. We have to make these savvy, yeah. smart, healthy choices to bring to bring those people into our everyday space. And the tough thing for folks who are thinking about embarking on a healthier lifestyle is they may have to look at boundary setting with existing relationships that aren't <laughs> healthy. You know, for some yeah. of us that was, yeah. you know, for some of us that meant leaving partner relationships that were destructive. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, hey, that's not fun to talk about, but <laughs> that's incredibly healing and important, but hard to do. Yeah, I mean, actually, I was going to ask about boundaries <laughs> just before you mentioned it. I mean, this is this this does go really alongside boundary setting and saying, you know what, some people I just can't have in my life. Some people, you know, I just need to say no to, you know, and um, be really, really um, disciplined about that. So, I mean, uh, and that's always tough for everybody because, you know, you want to be nice to people. Um, you don't want to be cool to people, but some people you just need to say, no, I, I can't, I need to have you outside of this part of my life for me to be healthy. Um, and I mean, how does that look, has that looked, how does that look like for you, um, Teresa? Um, well, that's, I mean, you're just very much speaking to me at this point in my life. I mean, I, in my level of where I've come with my healing, because I realized now, the more I put myself out there, the more people, you know, want to engage or do stuff or create partnerships or whatever. And so I've just, I've had to be, which is very exciting, hmm. but I, I know myself better now. And I know the kind of woman and people, men and people I want to be around, especially in my inner circle of friends right? People who mm. relationships, not necessarily just partnerships and business and business is too, like that's, it's important to engage with people of similar values and morals, um, and work. But in my inner circle, it's like, who am I going to let in and, and who do I want to keep? And yeah. so, you know, that's become extremely important to me because I've been someone who has been very good about helping, trying to help others and trying to please others and trying yeah. to be there for others and try to make relationships work that just maybe, you know, including male related, you know, my boyfriends in the past, um, and even some girlfriends, like try to make things work that just really, if I really dig deep enough, like they just, it, they just aren't worth keeping around and it's not from better or worse. It's just not fulfilling for both parties and it's hard to make those choices, but in the end, like you have to preserve and be respectful of your own self, your authentic self, your soul. And by saying no to people and kind of letting people go in a loving way or bringing people in, that's being respectful of you. Mm. And one of the things I, you know, people, I, I lost my father a year and a half ago and people yeah. are always like, what's the one thing? Cause my dad was a, a priest and a preacher, right? So yeah. the one thing that I took the, from him and, and not the one thing I took many, but the one thing that stands out the most that he'd always tell me because he'd always hear me, you know, cry on the phone about, I'm trying to help this person. I'm oh, strung out. Like I've got so much going on. He's like, Teresa, 
your time is a commodity, a precious commodity. So treat it like that. Like be choosy on how you spend your time, who you spend your time with, how you spend your energy. If something is not, is too aggravating for you or not healthy for you, you need to let it go and it's okay. And it's been really just this last year and a half having lost him and, and just with loss and like, he's so right. And just by making that decision, that choice, like Kate said, to let people go or bring people in has been the most amazing thing. One of the most amazing things to my healing. Wow. That's, that's phenomenal. And I, I, I think there isn't there, I mean, there's a discipline about this as well, isn't there? I mean, it's, yes. it, it, it's not just about like, kind of like, Oh, I'm going to be careful who I say yes to and who I say no to and all that kind of thing. There's actually a kind of pattern of discipline about this. Like you have to be intentional about this kind yes. of thing. And you have to cultivate a level of self-awareness. Um, this is an area of weakness for me. I tend to be, um, you know, I like people. I don't know what I was doing in law enforcement for all those years because that is not my personality. I tend to like people. I tend to feel pretty empathetic most of the time. So I very easily wind up people-pleasing and out of balance. And so for me, I have to ask very specific questions about balance in a relationship. So am I giving just as much as I'm receiving or has this become kind of an, what is that toy, Teresa, that kids play on? Uh, the seesaw has the seesaw gone the wrong direction. (laughs) Um, it's really, it can be an incredibly challenging thing. My husband is brilliant at setting boundaries and seeing reality. Um, I think he's a little pessimistic sometimes, but he can see reality for what it is. For me, that's an area of challenge where I have to be very intentional. Um, you know, I know Teresa, it's something you've worked on a lot and are probably, um, you have a lot of good stories. <laughs> yeah. Still working on it. You know, it's a work in progress. I think that's life. It's like, we just, we don't arrive. It's always, you're always working on it and, and in, embracing and being gentle with yourself in the process because there's no such thing as perfect. Like, well, yeah. Yeah. And I think when you, when you decide to write a book or do some speaking or, uh, you know, Teresa is a, um, a daughter of physical therapy and works with athletes all the time. You know, I'm a teacher. When you decide to work in a professional setting that involves a lot of interaction with other people, you have to be almost even more intentional about that boundary setting because people Mm. cross, try to cross your boundaries each and every day. Um, you know, I get strange. Now that I wrote the book, I get strange Facebook messages from strangers pretty much daily, you know, (laughs) and I, I used to always read them and I used to always want to respond. And you know, I've had to, I've had to get a little bit more to use your word, James. I've had to get more disciplined about such processes because it impacts the level of healthy or negative, uh, social support in my life. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I know that one author who's he just says every time he's asked about criticism, just says I, I don't Google my name. You know, I just don't. <laughs> I just don't. I just you know. I just I don't, I don't engage with that. I just don't respond. Um, um, you know, if there's help, if you know, um, I've always I've always said that you need a kind of group of people that you give permission to tell the truth. So like, you know, you have five or six people who you say right, these people and Brenny Brown talks about this as well. Um, that you, they have permission to tell me the truth. 
you know. So if I'm being an asshole, they'll tell me that. And if, yeah. I, and if I'm feeling down and think I'm worthless, they'll tell me I'm not. You know, no matter what my circumstances, whether I'm being successful or whether I'm having a really down time and things aren't going well, they'll tell me the truth, whatever happens, and they're invested in, in me. Yeah, and it, obviously it works. It works both ways as well. But um, um, and I think that's I think that's kind of, and obviously you have other other close friends as well. But I think having that little group can really help. Definitely, definitely, I, the trusted tribe. Yeah, I I third that. Mm-hmm. Awesome, <laughs> that's great, isn't it? <laughs> um, okay, that's cool. So let's get on to the the second one of these three. Um, which is uh, self-care, is it not? Is that right? Yes. Uh, this is where it gets fun. This is where the, uh, the CrossFit <laughs> coach, Teresa, comes out. Yeah, this is where we're <laughs> going to hear more from Teresa. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so just tell us about I'll just unpack that for us a bit then, um, Kate. Well, self-care is a broad umbrella concept, and I want to be very careful to differentiate self-care as being much broader than simple health and wellness. Um, so mm. self-care purposes involve care of the body as a holistic system, um, but with special attention and awareness cultivation of your own nervous system. So there are lots of fitness practices out there where people are moving their body in an abusive fashion, and they're not doing anything to downregulate their own nervous system or understand, hey, I'm a little wound up today. What does that mean? Or, hey, my muscles are out of balance. What does that mean? So it's really self-care is about getting curious about your mental and physical state, figuring out what makes you feel relaxed, positive, healthy. And then again comes your discipline word. I'm just going to plagiarize that excessively (laughs) today. Um, And then putting into daily practice those things that serve you. So for me, a great stress management technique has always been trail running with my dog. That makes me feel peaceful. That makes me feel relaxed. I have a girlfriend who would say swimming makes her feel, you know, relaxed and, and, and well, I feel like I'm drowning when I'm swimming laps. And I, you know, for me, that is stimulating and terrible. So what self-care looks like for Kate is going to be different than what it looks like for James or what it looks like for Teresa. So is this, so what the, so the science behind this, what's, what's that? I mean, obviously there's a connect and, and is there, and there's a connection between, well, there obviously is between mental health and physical health and just personal well, well-being generally. <laughs> They're intimately connected. There's absolutely no way to divide them. Um, And specifically, uh, I talk in Brave, Strong, True about mindful movement and about movement practices that not only give you um, endorphin and serotonin release in the brain, but that take your brain from a sympathetic state to a parasympathetic state. So I talk about it as downshifting the nervous system, but it's really that Ah, feeling that in the zone feeling that, um, you know, people use words like Zen, uh, but it's that feeling of relaxation. We're listening to cell phones and email Mm, binging and mm. the guy knocking on the door. We're hyper stimulated day in and day out. Mindful movement takes you to a different place. And that's a place your body needs to go periodically to rest, restore and enhance its performance. I mean, one thing that I've I've written about and I've read about as well is this whole. I mean, we'll get onto the spirituality a bit later, but uh, the, just the principle of Sabbath and having a day each week where you 
don't work, where you don't do what you do the rest of the week, where you disconnect. Um, and that actually, in, in Jewish, I mean, we're going to talk about the spirituality later, but in Jewish culture, that's what you build your week around. And everything else kind of revolves around that. So it starts with rest and starts with disconnection. And then all the work, all the stuff you do comes after the fact that you are valuable because you exist. Um, and that you are taking care of yourself and that you are healthy because that's more important than what you do. Um, I think that's a beautiful way to express self-care. You know, it's an honoring of your body and mind. Yeah. Um, just, I'm going to bring Teresa in a minute. Um, just one more thing about that. I've been reading a book, um, called how to be here by uh, Rob Bell. And in it, he talks about being fully present in the moment. So slowing ourselves down to actually notice what's happening right now. So like what you're talking about, ignoring the cell phones and social media and email and, and actually just stopping and noticing what's happening right in front of you at that moment. Um, Whilst obviously, you know, obviously it's important to have plans and goals and that kind of thing. But but actually when you slow down and are fully present, actually you start to get more out of life now. And you start to slow down a bit as well and be healthier. And um, I think that's really, really important. I agree. It's interesting the way that maybe you're not busy, but mentally you're busy. You're thinking about what happened yesterday or what you're going to do in 10 minutes. I'm the queen of thinking ahead to my to-do list. And it's terribly unhealthy because you never get to, you never get to be present and you never get to um, go restorative. It's, it's really uh, this chronic busyness epidemic. Um, the American mm. Medical Association links three out of every four doctor's visits to this this yeah. epidemic of yeah. hyperstimulation it's dangerous yeah absolutely so okay so uh, Teresa just come in here you've got a lot of expertise in this kind of area so let's I'd love to hear what your perspective is on this well it's a very uh interesting topic because I work in the CrossFit world mm. so I'm a CrossFit coach for um veterans and um but I also run a physical therapy practice so I, I'm around people who just love pushing their body to the limit and live, eat, drink, you know, fitness for the most part. You know, there's some people that can definitely, um, have some kind of balance, but for the most part, most people are pretty gung-ho in the CrossFit community, which is, is really nice. But, but most of my physical therapy practice is centered around that down regulation Mm. So interesting enough, I started off as a more orthopedic based PT where, you know, people come in, I assess their movement and, um, do some, you know, give them joint work, whether it was manipulation or soft tissue work. And that definitely is a, is a down regulation. That's a way to down regulate someone's nervous system, um, okay. passively. But the thing is that wasn't, that wasn't uh, focusing on the mind as much as more physical. Mm. Um, and then I, but I, in my first year as a PT, I realized people were not getting better as quickly as I wanted them to, or as I feel they should have been because I wasn't really focusing on that mindfulness of how they move, right? Poor movement, poor posture, poor, you know, poor movement can happen in the body. Like we sit, poorly we stand poorly we maybe choose we don't maybe we don't know how to move efficiently with weights or 
pick up a new sport and we haven't learned all the skills yet, but poor movement patterns are in the brain. And so when your body starts to move a certain way, you squat a certain way, you sit a certain way, your body remembers it and it saves it in your brain. It becomes a pattern. Yeah. And so you just become so unaware that, oh my gosh, you're shifting your hips when you squat down to the chair. You're really biasing your left side, not your right. Or your left shoulder is much higher. Do you carry a lot of stress in your left side? And when you start to bring awareness to someone's body, Mm. in my practice, it's like, oh my gosh, I did not know that. Thanks for telling me. Or yeah, "Yeah, I've been aware of that, but I don't know what to do to help it. And so part of most of my practice now is turned from like this orthopedic, let me treat you on the table and teach you how to squat heavier to, all right, let's become more aware of what our lungs are doing. Let's get you in a position where you learn how to breathe. What is your spine doing when you breathe? How does the breath feel? You know, um, what is when you're laying there and you're breathing and you're doing these different postures to create different muscle activation, very slow movements, are you in your body or is your mind somewhere else? Yeah. And so it's been really cool for me. I've really like dug my physical therapy practice the last year just because I'm getting more into pulmonary and neural work, which is all about slowing people down and getting them to help themselves. Like, what does it feel like? Oh, you're not firing your left glute as much as your right. Well, okay, let's work on that. And let's stay focused. But I'm not making them squat more heavier. I'm making them, you know, basically reposition their body and learn how to do it. Like, or more or less adjust themselves on their own. So they know what it's supposed to feel like when they do said movement. And Mm. it's really been really cool for me because, like, I feel like kind of a like this voodoo physical therapist. <laughs> really, I'm just like tying in the brain with the body. It's like yeah. really cool. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fascinating because we were talking, you know, just talking about this book I've been, I was reading and um, called, it's called How to Be Here. Um, uh-huh. And the, I mean, um, the guy actually has been on my podcast and um, he got, this guy had a, an accident while he was, water skiing and hit his head and for about a week or so he could only be present in the moment so so his memory kind of like he couldn't remember his although he was familiar with who his family and his kids were but he couldn't remember all the memories had kind of just gone temporarily so all he could do was focus on the, the moment that he was present and he was like noticing particles of dust and stuff and watching them and and then when he came out of it, when he recovered fully, because he did recover fully, he thought, "This is I want to be like this more often. I want to be fully present in my, in the moment, because I felt such peace yeah. in that moment, and I felt such I felt so much more healthy, and I was able to slow down and just get a healthier perspective on life. And and what you're talking about is almost like it's it's the science of that. It's just the practice. It's like a practical outworking of that." And I think it's really, really, really important. And, and you know, I struggle with, well, I struggle with both of these areas. Um, you know, I mean, taking care of myself and, and um, I mean, not so much with the social support. I've got a good network of friends, but certainly the taking care of myself, um, mm-hmm. I really struggle with that. In terms, just because of you know time and because I'm a, because I'm an emotional eater and a comfort eater, and and um, 
you know, because um, I'm busy and I, I'm not very disciplined in terms of my time. So those things, this is the area that I really struggle the most with. Um, but I've certainly been practicing being fully present more. Um, and when I've done that, I've actually felt a lot more peaceful and a lot more relaxed. Um, yeah, that concept, that concept of being mindful underpins all of these behavioral health uh, constructs that actually make you more resilient. Um, you know, whether it's, whether it is the social support, the self-care, and definitely the spirituality, you have to, in order to engage in these processes and practices on a regular basis, you have to be, you have to be constantly thinking about mindfulness and being here now. And uh, it's really, I feel like environmentally, we are set up to do the opposite. You totally. know? Oh, absolutely. I, I'm doubt. really good at I'm really good at excuses. Like I'm so needed. The reason I can't take care of myself is that people need me, and I'm so busy because they need me, and I get kind of a martyr complex, and that's how I <laughs> that's how I get away from self care. And you know, there are a million and one ways to to not prioritize being mindful, and I I may have found them all over the course of. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, I can totally relate to that, Kate. Um, too, or Dr. Thomas. Um, I <laughs> oh, come on, we're on a thing here. That's fine. <laughs> I am too goofy. Um, no, I can very much relate to that too because I'm 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 good at helping others, and so are you. And it's like, but taking care of myself has oftentimes been. It mm. seems like I'm good at it for a little bit, and then it just kind of goes away and then here I am like preaching this and then I'm like okay Teresa what are you doing but you know what you know it was interesting um I don't know why this was I just needed to to read this but about three months ago my husband was reading um so I have a friend that does this program called the whole 30 okay it's like um I'm not into any diets or anything like that. I, I choose not to engage with anything like that. But if you're going to improve, you know, improving my eating, eating lifestyle, I'm, I'm down to learn more. So, but my husband was getting migraines. And so we read this book called Whole30 and I was like, okay, well, let's, pr- let's do it for 30 days. Let's, let's eat this way without sugar, grains, etc. cetera. Um, but, but the point is, is that in the, in the book, the first thing, like one of the first pages was a little tough love and the tough love piece, um, was okay. So you're saying it's hard to cut out sugar and grain and dairy, right? For 30 days. And because they get that feedback a lot, it's hard to do that, but it's harder to have cancer. It's harder to be divorced. It's harder to not enjoy your body, um, and not enjoy focus. Like it's harder to be sick basically. So don't say eating healthier is harder, right? It's not, it's just a choice. And like you being making the choice. So all the, I do a lot of, you know, I do actually more business focused reading now because just being learning tactics on how to be efficient and productive boundary setting. Like I like learning from others, but one of the other things is these self-care tactics are very important and non-urgent things that should be done. Like you doing quiet time every day, or maybe mm-hmm. it's moving your body in a mindful manner, or, you know, turning off your phone at 6 PM or 7 PM. So you can enjoy time with your wife or husband. Um, mm-hmm. those aren't hard things to do. 
they, that's a choice to do it. And when I, I read this tough love, it was like really kind of nice to hear it. I'm like, yeah, Teresa. Okay. <laughs> you know what? It's harder. It's harder to struggle in a relationship and maybe on the, be on the verge of divorce and, or let my health go than to make a choice just to put myself first in a day, you know? And then, so since then, since that three month mark, like I, you know, struggled on and off with putting myself first and, you know, I'm a, I'm a healer. So it's that, that struggle is real, but but now it seems to be a little bit easier for me to just say, hey, I'm not turning on my phone until this time, and I'm going to go do my training. And my training is much more focused, having fun. I'm not doing CrossFit, by the way. I don't enjoy it. I actually like just weight training. And that's being completely honest with myself. I enjoy healthy versions of weight training. And it just was kind of a cool – maybe your audience will resonate with that somehow because – it's just harder to let yourself go and not take care of yourself and the, the things that happen to you. It's harder to struggle, harder to struggle in relationships, harder to struggle in health. So why not make mm. it easier for yourself and just make an, like a little choice every day to put yourself first. Yeah. There's but- a book I really like on this topic. Um, Drew Manning wrote fit to fat to fit, and it's about a trainer deciding to become really overweight so he could identify with his clients better. And he kind of talks about, he talks about that issue of choice and what seem like really hard choices are actually much easier than the negative effects of failing to practice self-care effects on your partnerships, effects on your parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that. I like that message because, yeah. you know, that motivates me more than a cheerleader would. I don't, I don't need to hear you can do it. I need to hear <laughs> right. <laughs> these are, these are proactive choices that actually will be much easier than dealing with the negative ramifications of not making set choices. Yeah, I mean, I struggle. This is, a, you know, as I said, I struggle with the discipline of of this. Um, and partly, I mean, that's partly to do with um, low self-esteem that I've struggled with and anxiety and things and com- comfort eating being something, you know, so, so, if I'm, so if I'm eating, if I'm trying to eat healthy, for example, it's, oh, I don't get to do the thing I really want to do. It's not that, oh, I'm choosing something better. It's that, oh, I'm choosing something worse. And that's kind of, I know that's a a kind of mental shift that I need to to make, you know. Um, And like you said, I love that kind of long-term perspective. Like, you know what, ultimately, this might be fun now to do do all this crappy diet and uh, no exercise. It might be easier now to do that. But in the long run, it's not going to do me any good. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, And switching, you know, when you talk about the paradigm shifting, what works for me is rather than I'm a sugar girl, that's my favorite reward. But what other rewards do I love? Like a massage or a new outfit. So shifting my reward centers is, is useful for me. My biggest roadblock is saying I am worth the time investment and my loved ones will benefit from me taking what feels like an incredibly selfish period of time. I still struggle with that because I mm. want to be, you know, I want to be with them or working for them or something basically all the time. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. This is so good. So good. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So now we get to the the final part of this, the final um, resilient building thing that we're talking about um which is spirituality so uh just um 
just unpack that for us a bit, okay, and just how you found that and how you discovered this and kind of maybe practical outworkings of it and maybe the science of it as well. Well, I would say I experientially discovered it the way a lot of people do. Um, after a long period of time not investing in my um, spirituality, in exploration of my own religious belief system, you really just kind of letting that fall to the wayside. Um, I, I had reasons. I took it up again. And experientially, I came to understand that to be very, very healthy. Looking into it from an epidemiological standpoint, the protective benefit of not just amorphous spirituality, but of organized religiosity, and in particular, a high level of subjective religiosity, meaning you can state what you believe, there are practices associated with your beliefs, and you do those practices with a like-minded community, what that does for our little animal bodies is incredibly important and healthy. Um, it's very stimulating to the nervous system in a, in a good way. I mean, it, it improves synaptic firing. Um, it lowers stress hormones. And uh, it's an incredibly valuable thing to ask yourself the big questions and then dedicate time towards your own spirituality. I always stop short of telling people what their answers to the big questions should be. I can tell you what mine are. But ask yourself, when is the last time you spent some energy in this direction? Um, when I really started looking at it, it had been a totally ignored aspect of my health for far too long. That's fascinating. I mean, I, you know, my, my background is uh, I've been, I've been part, in spirituality terms, I've been part of the Christian church my whole life, you know. I mean, my my understanding of spirituality has definitely changed. Um, my I mean, I'm still, I still consider myself what's called a Christian, um, but but I have a much more, much bigger and deeper um, understanding of spirituality, a much more interconnected view of spirituality. So, you know, I would see the you know the two the two aspects we've talked about already are kind of, in a sense, they're kind of aspects of spirituality. You know, and certainly, in, certainly in my faith, it's kind of like well, self care is, you know, you're in kind of the Christian context, I suppose, is is, you know, you're loved and accepted and valued as you are by God, and you're a precious gift, and you should be, and you should, and you need to take care of yourself because you're precious and you, and you're valuable, and you should take care of yourself. Um, and the social support comes through church communities, it comes through home groups, it comes through. What again, you know, prayer meetings or anything like that, um, and and of course, the science shows again, we've talked about how the science shows that these two areas are, are really fundamental to growth and thriving and resilience. Well, and, and the research shows us that there are three different ways that spirituality contributes to our health. And you just hit on the first two, the behavioral health stuff. Like most communities of faith are not big, big binge drinking communities. Um, they encourage healthy habits. And then the social support piece, the community aspect of being in a faith community. And then there is the interesting and difficult to quantify um, more mystical component to faith. Why yeah. is it healthy to have someone pray for you? Why are your post-surgical outcomes better if people are praying for you? Um, it, it, that is the area that really fascinates me right now and where I'm doing a lot of reading because the data are 
fascinating. And the numbers really show that there's a mystical component to faith. And those of us who are believers feel very comfortable with that. I mean, hence, that's kind of the background. (laughs) That's kind of the point of having faith. But the scientist in me gets excited when I can say, well, here are some research studies that show prayer has direct physiological impact. What are we to make of that? If not, that we're wired to connect with God. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing that blew my mind. I remember in our original podcast we did that you said that there's a part of the brain that only lights up when we pray. Yeah, and yeah. That, prayer that is different than meditation. Blew my mind. And I, I actually told a friend of mine, he's a pastor, and he was like, really? He was well, like, think oh, about my goodness. Romans, the, you, know. you know, be renewed by, you know, the renewing of your mind. I mean, I feel like there are scriptural... Um, scriptural links to some of these some of these neuroscience connections yeah i often think that there's this circle you start with so you can start with science you know mm-hmm. and then you you have you have like the bible and science next to each other and they go round in a circle and then they meet in the middle yeah and i think the more you find out about science not just the science of the human body but the science of the universe you know astrophysics all these kind of things the more i've learned about these things the more i see these these two these two things connecting and of course when the bible was written or the books of the bible were written um they didn't have the scientific knowledge that we had but yet somehow they're tuning into this stuff that's we're now discovering scientifically um so i mean what's your perspective on this um uh, teresa well um i i very interesting dr thomas with all of the research you've done and I mean, just that's very intriguing to me, too, is seeing how prayer can directly or indirectly impact surgical outcomes for people. Um, I have firsthand benefited from a church community growing up. So when I grew up in the Catholic church and my mom, when she was suffering with breast cancer, I mean, the community was, it was just amazing. We had people coming over, cooking us dinners taking us to school. I mean, when my dad worked, it was just like, the community was just amazing. Every day, somebody calling, there was prayer chains. Um, so at a little, you know, the age of eight, nine, 10, you know, experience like this, um, church community. And, uh, that was really cool for me. Mm. Moving into college. I also, I went to a Catholic college that's what I felt. I mean, I grew up very Catholic. And so going to a, a private university, Catholic university, um, felt comfortable for me. And I was part of the community ministry. Um, and we would go and visit people in local hospitals um, and nursing homes. And mm-hmm. I really liked that. Um, it made me feel good. It made me smile. And it made I mean, I think the people, I hope the people that I visited also benefited, Mm. (laughs) but it just like, that's where, I mean, I really felt like, you know, you get out of, you get out of your world and you put yourself, you, you give without expecting anything. And I was just having a conversation about this earlier is that I, that's an aspect of spirituality for me is, is giving this because I want to give without expecting anything. Mm. And I want to go visit, you know, I want to go visit my friend who is sick because I just want to visit her and let her know she's not alone. Um, yeah. and that's like, 
you know, I, I, I have a, I have a affinity for that. I don't want people to feel alone. And, um, I, I wouldn't say, you know, being in a religious community, like a Catholic church made me, um, more religious. If anything, I'm not religious anymore, but I've become closer to God. Um, That's powerful. in a sense that I found a way to use prayer and meditation and like community service to give back and get kind of get out of my world of, you know, fitness and PT and <laughs> book and like yeah. engage with people in other communities. So like the God is love. And so being able to share and give to people, um, in a very non, in a very, um, not selfish way is a way I express my faith. Um, so I think that answered your question inadvertently. Yeah, that's powerful. That's <laughs> so powerful because you say you're not like, you know, you're not a Christian or whatever, going to church or whatever, but I think what you're doing, you know, also you're, you are serving your community, you're, you know, you're praying, meditating, whatever, and putting yourself out there for other people. Well, and it's this, also this, this, something that, um, so I also, and I wanted to, I mean, my father was a, a Catholic priest, so mm-hmm. very, very religious, right? He went to be a priest after a mother passed away. And so our home was a rectory for some time. And so I, I actually got a really good behind the scenes of, and to kind of back what you're saying, Kate, is to see the power of prayer in action with his parishioners. Like we would, you know, when I would go visit him over Christmas, we go visit hospitals and just the light and the happiness that would come from our visit with my dad or giving food to people who were in need or heat to people who are in need out in Pennsylvania. Like it was like the most awesome thing. And my dad, you know, here's my dad is a, so the church is obviously, there's been a lot of um, co- conflict and a lot of uh, corruption. And my dad, being a former, you know, father and a dad and a grandpa, just had a really good way, a good perspective on life. And he wore this Roman collar, right? And, it, and this is what kind of helps keep me the light of prayer, the light of giving without receiving alive, is that this man, my dad, who is actually an amazing priest, he wore this Roman collar, and this Roman collar and this priest outfit is black. It's not awesome in the summer and in the heat. It's really <laughs> warm, but he wore it all the time. And I was, we were always like, Dad, why the heck are you wearing this thing all the time? Like, you know, he's like, Teresa, this Roman collar, this, this white in the midst of darkness is me giving light to people. Wow. I'm able to give light and hope to people. And in the midst of darkness, everyone has experienced darkness at some point in their life yeah, and yeah, to yeah. whatever level. And God is the light. Faith is that light being able to give and without expecting receiving is light. Having hope is light generating self-care tactics um, and social support is light in the midst of people's lives that can be actually sometimes very dark. Yeah. And so you know, if anything, this spirituality component is probably the basis for what we just talked about. In yeah. My opinion. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And uh, it's, it, it, I just find it fascinating that, you know, there'll be a lot of people who talk about 
your spirituality or faith about about what you just just a set of beliefs, just a set of rules, just a set of like this is this is what I believe X Y and Z, you know. Um, but it's so much more than that, and it's. Um, I always think the Bible was kind of just written at that kind of. The Bible is not one book anyway. The Bible is sixty-six different books written by different people, by different people at different times in history, different types of literature. You know, it's not one book anyway. But I think, um, I think what what I find faith to be really about is a way of being in the world. It's the way we were. It's the it's being human in the way we were designed to be, like being our healthiest as human beings. Like, you know, so it's, so it's better to, um, forgive. It's better to love your neighbor. It's better to, um, serve those who are needy. It's better to, um, you know, be someone of compassion. Um, because those things are just healthier, you know, it's better to be in community. It's better to take care of yourself and you have this infinite value and worth just as you are. And, this is just about and it's about how to be human in the way that we were designed to be human you know and the science as well talk about the brain and prayer you know that there is it makes total sense that god would make us in a way which allows us to connect with him um so i think well, that's what that's my kind of perspective on on spirituality certainly and i think yeah. So, uh, sorry, Kate, were you going to say something? I just wanted to echo uh, Teresa's comment about giving for the sake of giving. And I think what's really interesting about that is you can measure the serotonin release and the oxytocin release from giving within the social contract, meaning, James, I do something nice for you because I expect you to be fully capable of doing something nice for me in return. Mm. But giving for philanthropic purposes, the way she was describing, doing it for the sake of it, her hormone releases for giving outside the social contract the way we often do um, when we're doing it in that context and with a community of faith is it's so much higher. Um, So there are very real physiological benefits to philanthropic giving and to give to caring for the widows and the orphans for the sake of, um, we're wired to do those things. We're wired to connect with God, with one another. Um, and I love, I absolutely love kind of experientially knowing that that feels good, but then learning, learning the hormonal or the neurological, uh, underpinning for why, why it does feel that way. Um, but so that was really resonating with me when you were talking about that, Teresa. Wow. That's phenomenal. Yeah. No, thanks Kate. Yeah, I mean, I, that blows my mind. You know, there's all of these things that that we're kind of we're told, you know, for people of faith that you know this is this is a this is the right thing to do. This is the, you know, and I always actually I always say that we shouldn't just do them because it's like oh well, the Bible tells us to do it. You know, that's not that's not good motivation to do things. You know, it's like oh because it says in the rule books or whatever you want to call. I don't think the Bible's a rule book, but. You know, just for argument's sake, people use the Bible as a rule book, don't they? So it's like, oh, because it says in there I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Not just because, well, yeah, but it's a nice thing. To, it's the right thing to do anyway, even if it wasn't in there. It doesn't matter. You know, loving loving somebody who's in need and doing something for them is the the right thing to do anyway. It's not just, you know, and, and, you, know, and you just said, Kate, that the science actually shows that it's healthy for us to do that. You know, Your endocrine system rewards you rewards you 
when you give when you give to someone where there's no reciprocity expected. Um, and wow. again, I mean, from a secular standpoint, we talk about, yeah, well, humans cooperate with one another are kind to one another because of the social contract. When you give outside the social contract, what motivates us to do that, you know, and then and then what's the benefit of doing that? Um, this is to me, this is an incredibly fascinating question. Yeah, I think. I think, yeah, absolutely. I mean, spirituality is so much bigger than we realise. And I think there's, I think we're only scratching the surface in terms of the connection between science and our spirituality, I think, and how we're actually made as human beings and how the universe is made and um, our connection to God. I think we're just at the beginning of that journey. Um, I mean, there's, there's scientists now, I saw... Um, a scientist do a talk about um, how there's a lot of experts about the universe who are now saying the odds on, on intelligent life existing on this planet, on any planet, anywhere, are so infinitesimally small that, that actually well-known scientists like, are starting to argue and reflect on the idea of a independent consciousness and design behind it all, you know. So there's actually science scientists who are now trying, now starting to think that well, there might be something else outside of what we know. That's because it's so empirically unlikely that it all would have come together this way. Yeah. I, I've always seen science and faith as going together beautifully. I've I've always had trouble identifying with people who see them as exclusive concepts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. I mean, actually, I find the more I learn about science, the bigger my faith gets. You know, I concur. I totally agree with that. Yeah, I mean, what, what, I mean, I don't know. Obviously, you're not someone who, who's kind of religious, but although you have a spirituality, um, too. So, how does that kind of work for you? Like, how does your concept of spirituality get bigger? Um, does, I mean, does, does any of this kind of uh, resonate? Well, I'm I'm like nerdy like Kate too. I just love, you know, if you don't mind me saying that, Kate. I'm yeah. I love <laughs> learning about the benefits physiologically of things like because faith is something that sometimes people can't just put their finger on. You know, it's like okay, what is this? There's so many definitions of it, and but science is like fact, and so the fact that you know faith is. Um, feel good, believe in God, do the right thing, be a good person, um, type thing is actually, you know, making, um, people better, um, helping people heal Mm. is really freaking cool. And, you know, the more I know about the body, so what's helped me a ton with my own healing is just, I learned more about how the mind works. It's like, you know, I want to put positive things into my mind. I want to surround myself by good people, believing in something, believing in God, believing in myself, praying Mm. are all releasing good hormones in my body and Mm. being focused and in the precious present is also very hormonally rewarding. And now that I've learned this, it's like, okay, well, I'm doing it more. I'm going to do it as much as I can. It's just like, because... No, I'm serious. It's like exciting. It's like, well, I'm, I'm learning deeper, deeper parts of me and how, because if I know that science is backing up my healing and things that I can do mentally, um, to improve 
my own sense of being and my own ability to stay in tune with myself and heal, then I'm going to do it. Mm. And, um, it's just like when I, you know, not to be completely morbid here, but I, when I was recovering from my eating disorder and totally oblivious to anatomy and whatnot, and my therapist was like, Teresa, do you want, I'm going to explain to you what goes on when you do the symptoms of bulimia. And when she, she actually took me through what was going on in my body. I was like, OMG. Okay. Yeah. There's lots, there's lots more to me than just my skin and teeth and things, you know, like there's things that are going to break down and happen if I continue this. So just, but in my mind, the more I feed myself with muck and surround myself by people that I really don't want to be around or situations or, you know, don't take time for myself to pray and give without expecting like those things affect me. And, and now I know like when I'm, you know, low and I'm feeling low and I've been working a lot and I've kind of put self care on the back burner, like Kate and I talked about Mm -hmm. that can happen with very driven, busy people. Um, it's like, that's not, I know what I need to do to get back to my center. And it's nice to know the tactics work. Like it's nice to know that being closer to God and giving without receiving and taking time for myself are all things that are going to help my mind and body balance. Yeah. It's like, it's like the science of taking, it's like the science of spirituality. It's like, you know, there is actually a really healthy way to, to be in the world and to, connect with God, which is actually scientifically provable almost, you know, and that's I think a- that's really cool. Uh, well, and for, you know, and for the nerdy, um, sometimes that's a powerful why, you know, sometimes that is a powerful reminder that, you know, I, I tend to be very data driven in general, but Hey, this feels good. Isn't always enough of a reason for me or, and you know, you James were saying somebody telling you to do it isn't really enough of a reason for you. So it can be a, a really powerful why to validate something that feels, you know, something that feels true at an experiential level. Um, I don't think that you can just learn about resilient trait cultivation, social care, social support, self-care, spirituality from a book or from a lecture and really understand it. I think the experiential learning component is vital. That's the touchstone that we all come back to when you feel the nervous system downregulate. You feel that ah moment or or you understand what what it feels like to be balanced and not hyperstimulated. That's a state that we will all course correct and rudder steer and fight to get back to because you're never going to stay there. Um, (laughs) Life happens. Um, Uh, But once, once you have felt it and you know, I can get back there if I do social support, the right way. I practice my self-care the way that the ways that I know work for me and I focus on my spiritual fitness. Okay. I can get back there and it's worth getting back there. I think that's incredibly powerful for people. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to kind of just draw this to our close and, um, in a minute, I'm just going to, in a minute, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask, uh, just ask you Kate, um, about just some kind of beginning, beginner steps maybe for how we can kind of begin to um put these into practice but i mean have you got any final thoughts um teresa no i think this is an awesome just an awesome topic um i would i would just say 
that oftentimes with this stuff, if it's new for many of you, it takes anyone, you know, exposure to stuff like this and doing it seven to 13 times for you to really maybe sink in, right? You can listen to it, but like he said, like start to put it into action. That's how you start to to make healthy changes versus Mm -hmm. just listening. I'm a coach. I can give people feedback and cues all I want and information, but they've got to ultimately run with it and do it. And so I hope that this, all of you listening, this is empowering for you to know that there is an ability to be healthy and change. Mm. In every human being, there's a capacity. And so start to to use these tactics we talked about, um, whether it's engaging with the community, taking 10 minutes to yourself every day, joining a gym of people that you like, um, or whatever, you know, running group or book club, whatever it is you want. Um, take that time to do it because life is, you know, life is long, but it also can be short. Life, life goes by quickly and it's important to enjoy these moments. Um, the precious present, right? So mm. that's all. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so Kate, just, um, just to finish, I mean, how can like regular people, people like people like me, maybe who don't understand everything about this, and you know, we've got daily, we've got lives, we've got jobs, we've got families, whatever, we've got um, you know, partners, all this kind of thing. How do we begin to start putting these three things into practice in our lives? Like what, are, like one thing that we can do in each area that we can we can start to implement these things. Well, the first thing, the first thing we all have to do is find our why, find our inspiration. Um, That often happens in relationship. Um, You can do something as simple as have a conversation with a, a person that you admire or a person you think you might learn something from. Um, maybe that's a, a faith leader. Maybe that's just a coworker. You can do something as simple as pick up, pick up an inspiring book and, and read an inspiring narrative. I, I know Dr. Larson has one coming out in April called Warrior um, mm, that yeah. might do the trick for you, that might flip the switch. But find your why. Once you do that, you have to dedicate some time to do some awareness exercises and you have to say, and you have to assess, all right, how is my social support network looking? What are my existing self-care practices? And have I spent any time on my spirituality in the recent, in my recent memory? Once you do your assessment and kind of figure out where are you now and where do you want to be, then you can start dedicating some time in each of those areas. So for me, sometimes sometimes it's the hard stuff. I mean, sometimes you look at your social support network and realize, wow, I'm in an unhealthy relationship. I have to uh, set up some boundaries or maybe even sever that relationship. And then I need to go find a new partner or make some new friends um, to bring affirming presence into my day-to-day. There's a lot of work to be done from the original awareness raising, which is why I say motivate the heck out of yourself find some inspiring stories find some inspiring people to talk to and then um carve the time to to start doing the analysis awesome that is fantastic that is fantastic well thank you both um for coming on and and doing this um it's been 
been so so useful and i i know i found it really really helpful just to tie these things together and to see the connections and to understand you know the science of in many senses the science of spirituality and the science and just kind of the spirituality of being human as well you know that there's a there's a science behind how we're meant to be human and that's interconnected with our spirituality that's part of our spirituality that's really really inspiring and encouraging and eye-opening for me and i know it'll probably be for a lot of people as well so thank you both um for coming on today it's been really really great well i am absolutely honored to be here in such great company so thank you for having me yeah thank you james thank you kate too yeah, always oh, motivating me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we'll, um, we'll definitely have you kind of both back, and um, we're thinking about doing uh, some kind of live call with both Kate and Teresa as well. And keep an eye on my site, and we'll keep you informed about that if that happens. So, um, yeah, thanks everyone for listening. I hope you've um, you've been inspired and encouraged as much as I have. And um, yeah, I'll talk to you all soon. <laughs>